Thanks for downloading show 87 of the C-Suite podcast, the second of two episodes that we're recording at Madworld, Europe's only conference and exhibition putting mental health at the heart of a cross-industry, cross-functional agenda. These two episodes are being produced in partnership with commercial interior designers Circularis 8, who work closely with their clients to create effective working environments that have a real positive impact on the mental health and well-being of employees, which of course is the topic of this episode. And so we're set up on their exhibition stand in the networking area to record our interviews today and provide you with a real flavour and understanding of the issues being discussed at this event. My name's Russell Goldsmith and in the previous episode our guests included Ian Stewart, Group Managing Director and CEO of HSBC UK Bank PLC, as well as Ruby Wax, OBE, and Christoph Dubose, founder of Circularis 8, who we'll be hearing from again shortly, plus many other speakers from the day. So if you haven't already, please make sure you listen to all those great interviews, but not before you've listened to this episode, of course. For our first interview, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Farmer, Chief Executive of Mind, and of course co-author of the Stephen and Pharma Independent Review into Workplace Mental Health that we've talked about on this podcast previously. So I'm thrilled that he is here in person to chat with us now. Paul's just taken part in a panel session titled Thriving at Work, The Now and Next, where they were looking at the challenge of ensuring interest and awareness of mental health in the workplace is turned into action. Paul, it's just short of two years since your report was published. There has been a lot of talk on the topic, but what actions have actually been taken in that time? So I think the most impressive thing about what happened since driving at work is the way in which businesses in particular and parts of the public sector have really addressed the question of mental health in their, their own workplaces. And they've used the thriving at work standards as a kind of navigating tool to really help them think about what they could be doing inside their own organization. So, you know, we've heard at the conference today some great examples of big corporates taking great strides in terms of uh, leading from the top, whether it's um, Lloyd's or HSBC, really showing the, the leadership that's important, boardroom leadership. But we've also seen examples in smaller businesses of people who are really doing things very differently, you know, doing, uh, supporting their people as people and thinking about them, you know, as uh, in the round in terms of being able to give people proper time off work to go and spend time with their kids when they really need to uh, and offering more flexible working. So, you know, we're really encouraged by this kind of groundswell of activity and you know here we are at a big event this kind of event simply wouldn't have happened three or four years ago uh, i suppose my my concern is is it moving quick enough well i think I, i'm impatient for change and yeah. it's not moving quickly enough for us and i think in the in, in what we've heard today you know if you look if you take a broad sweep at all the data we can say that probably roughly half of companies are doing something around mental health but the other half aren't and even the half that are, aren't necessarily going deep into some of the causes of why people develop mental health problems. So, you know, we talk quite a lot about the fruit and pilates approach to mental health. Now, I love fruit, I love pilates, but I don't think that's the, the simple answer to tackling mental health in your workplace. I think we're beginning to now see issues like, how do you tackle bullying and harassment in your workplace? What about the long hours culture? What about your business model that might be contributing to poor mental health amongst your staff? Those are the kinds of issues that we're beginning to see organisations get into. And that is where we're really going to see the change in the long term. I just heard, obviously, at the end of your session, you're talking about switching, you know, not answering your phone when you're on holiday, which, which again is a big pressure, isn't it, for people? 
Yeah, so, you know, one of the themes I think we hear a lot about is the role of technology. And technology is a real aid for good quality work. You know, isn't it fantastic that we can work flexibly so we can work at home and spend time, more time with our family and our children if we want to or take our caring responsibilities? But also, why is it that we now seem to expect that we have to answer emails at 10 o'clock at night or on the beach when we're on holiday? You know, this is the kind of next wave that we have to think about. We have to think about how do we manage our work, really manage our work in an effective way. Because I don't know about you, but most people I work with, and for me, myself, if I spend all the hours thinking and working, I become much less productive. I become stale and I lose my sense of perspective. So we, it's, it's, this isn't simply about, you know, giving people time off. This is actually about how we help people to be the most productive they can be. And what was the response from the, the people? I mean, it's a packed hall in there, you know, and, and, the, and, and your session. People standing at the back there. I mean, what, what was the response from, from the people in the room? Well, I, I think we are... I think my sense is that people are, are hungry for information and help and support, and today is creating you know, vast opportunities for doing that. But I think there is a mood now that is beginning to help take us into some of these bigger questions starting to think about the nature of work how do we look after ourselves what what perhaps is the role of employers in in creating happier healthier societies you know i think there is an appetite there's an interest in that now that we haven't necessarily seen before from employers as well as you know from commentators as well and but I, but i think that's because people are looking at the way in which we are working and thinking you know, are we really going to be like this for the next 50 years? We've got to think about doing this differently. Well, looking forward, in, in, you know, in, in that case, what, what do you think is needed to future-proof organisation strategies around mental health? I mean, do we need to bring in legislation? Well, when we produced the Thriving at Work review, we were pretty clear that we wanted to give employers generally uh, the opportunity to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, so far, I think we've seen lots of organisations really grasping that. So I think we need to think about whether um, uh, that's enough now. So do we actually also need to raise the bar so that the poorly performing organisations do feel the impact of the Equality and Human Rights Commission or the Health and Safety Executive, as we suggested, so that uh, it becomes unacceptable for bad behaviour in the workplace to take place. And I think there may well be a case for thinking about that, and we know that the government is looking at the question of the Amending the Equalities Act to make it much more explicit about mental health. So I think it's certainly something we need to look at in the, in the next few years. But, you know, we do also know that voluntary endeavours, we're seeing some big organisations making some big changes because it's the right thing to do. What about those that aren't, though? How about naming and shaming those companies? Well, um, I'm a, a big fan of public reporting. We make, It's one of our uh, advanced standards. I, I don't think we've seen enough even of the good organisations being open about what they're doing yeah. to support the, pe- the workplace of their people. Yeah, because people share the, like for example, the gender pay gap now. So how about sharing what they're doing around mental health? Well, I, 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 um, we think, I, we think uh, that people should do more and more of that. We found the hundred or so organisations that take part in the Mind Workplace Wellbeing Index increasingly happy to talk about their Uh, what they do. We've seen big companies like Deloitte and BT uh, describing their well-being activities in their annual reviews. Uh, We haven't really got far enough on that and whether that will then lead to a shaming as opposed to celebrating, I'm not sure this is yet the moment for that 
but I don't think we're very far away. But we do really do need to see the good telling us what they're up to. Yeah. yeah. Well, Paul, listen, I, I, I literally grabbed you straight after your session. So I know you haven't even had a chance to get a coffee. So thank you for giving up a bit of time. Um, if uh, listeners want to find out any more information, where's the best place for them to go? So the thing to do is to go and go to the Mental Health at Work uh, site, which is uh, curated by Mind. We have 11 partners, including many of the people who are involved in this conference today. Uh, mentalhealthatwork.org.uk. Huge amounts of information, free access to lots of toolkits and training, training materials. Fantastic. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We're now joined by Petra Velsabor, a mental health consultant, um, Kay Preston, interior designer and well-credited professional. And it's a welcome back to the podcast to Christophe Dubose, the founder of Circularis 8, our partners of the two episodes we're producing here at Mad World, who we spoke to on our previous episode, of course. Christophe, Petra and Kay have been involved in a couple of roundtable sessions which have been on the topic of leveraging office environments for maximum well-being impact. And within those sessions, they were looking at how to overcome the challenges of creating an office environment that meets the well-being needs of a diverse workforce. Um, Christoph, how did these sessions go? It, it was really interesting. We had a very dynamic mix of people in the space and you know there was a, a lot of questions that were raised that took the conversation in different directions. It, it's, it's, it's comforting, I shouldn't say comforting, it's inspiring to know that people are focused on their, uh, their workspace and that they're aware of the impacts that it has on their mental well-being and people had quite some good opinions and some strong opinions about, about that. And Kay, how about you? Yeah, I think it, it went really well actually. Everyone was really engaged. Um, they seemed really interested. And there was a couple other designers at the table, which was also interesting. And then the rest, uh, there was actually a few who were part of corporations that were starting projects from the very beginning, which is an amazing place to start when you're talking about well. That's really fortunate, actually. Um, but yeah, everyone was really engaged. I thought that was really good. Well, let's let's dig into some of those questions that, that were raised. Pet- Petra, can you share some of the uh, some of the topics that, that came up? Um, lots of things. So one was there was a woman who's on the autistic spectrum. So she was thinking about you know um, different diversity within the office space and how do we please everyone? And I think there were some HR people represented, and we can't please everyone. But something that came from that was collaboration, wasn't it? So really getting to know your people and talking and asking asking them what is your best place to work and then I think we were talking quite a bit about having choice so having different types of environments because it's just that you can move in and out depending on what you're doing. And what about in the session that you ran Kay? So there was actually one specifically about a project that they're looking at a grade two listed building. Um, So of course when we're talking about well and going back to my previous point it's great if you're starting from scratch and that makes it you know a whole different ballgame. If you're if you're dealing with an existing building or obviously in a place like the UK we're gonna have a lot of old buildings it is quite an interesting take and what can you do. So for me it was very much well play to the building strengths you know it's great to list it celebrate that and don't try and fight it and work with that but what that means is as a really good example you're not gonna have the same levels of natural light to play with that some of the big buildings in the city or Canary Wharf do right 
So you are going to have to work with lighting specialists to see how you can get that um, the lighting levels on the inside as well. So there's different things you can do. There's furniture that you can play with um, now, acoustic panels, so you don't have to build permanent walls. She also talked about, she identified that there's, there's certain departments that really like small spaces, and they have a lot of small spaces. So it's like, okay, well then that's about really looking at your organization and who can use those spaces, you know, and, and playing to those strengths. So it's really about looking at your strengths. It's looking about the culture and what you want to achieve. But don't try and fight it when you have an old building. Try and work with it. Materials, a lot. there's a lot of stone in there. There's a lot of timber. Work with those and, and you know, create a space, a homey space, you know, cozy, sanctuary, all of these things. Play to the strengths. So how does choice play a role in your environment? I mean, choice starts with engagement, of making sure the people that are actually going to use the space are a part of what it means to be, or, or, or part of its formation. Um, and it doesn't mean you ask them, you know, what is it that you want. It's just to get a feel for how people work. And every time we do, uh, you know, uh, end user engagement pieces, we come out with really strong results every single time. And then people feel like they're a part of that space, and then they take ownership of that space. Um, and then if you provide um, a variety of space for people, so it's not just your work desk and the T-point and that's it. There's all different types of working that goes on. There's focus work that you do, there's collaborative work that you do, there's training and, and development work that you do, there's cultural work that you do. Um, that if you provide different types of spaces for all that, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about um, having your, your workspace uh, be of a certain sort of uh, setup or size. It's more about, you know, do you have the opportunity to do all the different things that you want to do? And if you're not fixed uh, and stuck in one place, uh, you'd be amazed at how much uh, productivity you can get out of understanding that you get choice. Well, I think what we talked about in this particular session was ownership. And what we also talked about is a holistic approach. It's not just about ticking the well-being boxes and a certification. It's looking at the organization as a whole and giving people choice. So making employees feel like they, they have a say, perhaps, in the, in the design of their spaces, giving them different choices in terms of where they work, um, how they want to work. So it's really nailing down, in this case, and, and what we talked about, is, is kind of asking the question at the very beginning, what do you want? What do you want your organization to be? And um, getting everyone involved. And that's not just stakeholders, that's, that's everyone across the board. Petra, you go and talk to companies as, as part of, of obviously um, your role. What do you see when you go into those workspaces? So, so it's lots of variety, right? So because I work right with startups, right to big law firms and different, you know, and some just have this really old school methodology of what needs to happen. What I was interested in in our conversation was the types of well-being spaces that people create. So we had um, two companies represented. One had a beautiful well-being space, it sounded like, but it felt really formal, like you had to sign in to use it, or if it was mental health first aiders, you'd go in there if you had a problem. And she was like, well, it's a bit underutilized. Whereas a different one was saying, we have a well-being space and it's just drop-in, it's open, and the idea is that the culture reflects that you can go in and just take a breath. You don't need to sign in. You don't need to preempt. You don't need to think, oh, if I walk in there, is somebody going to think somebody's, something's wrong with me? So I think 
I'd love to see that gold standard of well-being like integrated into everything. But I think there's how do you use your well-being space? Is it formal, or which kind of is counterintuitive, or is it just like oh we 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 recognize that people need to take a breath and you can just drop in and have autonomy. Yeah, and where does it sit on the agenda? I mean, clearly it doesn't sit very high on the agenda if it's that unloved corner in the space with no windows and you just put a wall up around and, and called it a well-being space. Um, it, it needs to be something a little bit more thought through than that, and something that's a little bit more intentional than that. Um, and and it, when it sort of integrates, you can design office in ways that integrates into culture and that's one of those really important pieces that just needs to be considered. So Christoph, final question then. What's the workspace going to look like in the future in let's say just five <laughs> years time? Yeah, well when you think the iPhone just came out ten years ago and think about, you know, a world without emoji. I mean, just get your head around that. Um, what's, what's the world going to be like in ten years time? Really impossible to know but we can know it's going to be radically different than the one um, we're, we're looking at today. So if you design a workplace that is suitable for today, you can, it's already outdated by the time you've done it. So one of the things that, that is going to, definitely going to happen is communications are going to get easier, they're going to get lighter, they're going to get swifter, and finding ways in, uh, to capture that and, and make the most of it in your workspace. Well, Christoph, Petra, and Kay, thank you so much for uh, joining the show. I'm now joined by Claire Walsh, head of SHE, Occupational Health and Wellbeing at BAE Systems for the organisation Surface Ships Business. And in case you weren't aware, SHE stands for Safety, Health and Environment. Uh, Claire has just finished speaking in the leadership stream on the topic of the elephant in the room, uh, linking performance management with mental health. Now, we'll come on to the elephant in the room shortly, but can you give us a quick overview of your talk today, Claire? Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I was talking today about our uh, experiences and how we've been introducing uh, breaking the stigma of mental health at work to the business and breaking through some of that kind of macho culture you can imagine that hangs around in, in the shipyards. But also we need to make sure that we address things the right way with the leadership teams and performance and the performance of a business, uh, be it whether it's bottom line, quality, safety, uh, is, is vital for any successful organisation. And to make sure that you've got a, a healthy workforce that, that is present and correct in both body, mind and soul can only be a good thing for your performance. Can you tell us a little bit about your part of BAE Systems and the culture of the organisation when it comes to mental health and wellbeing? So as you can imagine, um, working on a shipyard in, uh, in, in deepest, darkest Glasgow uh, is quite challenging. We also have um, a number of sites in the southern, uh, southern counties in, in England. So uh, we have a very diverse uh, population. So in Glasgow, we have what you would typically expect to see. Uh, many of whom who have worked um, in the same shipyard for you know, 40, 45, 50 years. They've been there, man and boy, and their families have worked there and, and still continue to work there. And then we have um, some absolutely incredibly intelligent, amazing people who do these incredible designs for these complex warships that, that we build for um, the UK government. And um, there is a big difference in the perceptions between those two groups and indeed how you engage with them. So in order for us to actually establish what we, what we want to know, and let's face it, 
I knew it two and a half years ago, but I can't go to the leadership team without, well, this is how I think it is. Um, I've carried out a quality of working life assessment for the full business. So we are the first of the, the BAE businesses in the, the UK to, to do this uh, with a partnered organisation. And what we're looking at is basically the, the HSE's management standards for managing uh, mental health risks at work, but also the culture how people feel about being at work, do they feel supported, do they feel confident that their manager would be able to help them and steer them in the right direction and from then we'll be able to get some really, really rich conversations and pictures uh, about what we can do to change and actually build that into our uh, ongoing um, mental health improvement strategy. Have you got any initial findings that you can share? Just a, a soup zone. Um, so uh, a very interesting one for me has been the working relationships. They've come out really, really positively. And as we know, having a good social network, be it at home or at work, is uh, very protective against anxiety and depression and is, uh, helps people feel good at work. So it's about building that community. Uh, we use the same sort of techniques in safety and we talk about behavioural safety and changing that culture that way to have people look out for each other. Um, you don't want to do something that is potentially going to injure your pal. Uh, it's, the same, it's the same thing. So look out for your mates and your mates will look out for you. And what about processes moving forward? What are you putting in place? So we'll be looking at different ways of making these changes uh, over a long term. It's not something that you can do overnight and then expect it to be embedded. These are actually things that a business uh, should be able to take and, and actually change the fundamental way that the business works rather than something that's just sort of a, a flash in the pan. It, it, you know, it needs to become a permanent part of the culture, the way that we do things here. Great. Uh, now, let's come to uh, the elephant in the room. Yes. Um, you gave a talk today with a stuffed elephant, which mm -hmm. is actually sat on our uh, table here where we're doing this interview with his uh, headphones on as well. Tell us about him and what he stands for. I'm assuming he has... Is it he? He is, is a he, yeah, yes. And, and um, this, this is Mark. We do have uh, another elephant called Ashley. Ashley's non-binary. And we have another elephant called Edna. Uh, Edna was subject to a poaching attempt, but is currently happily ensconced in our Filton office, Fantastic. and where she has a little house. And uh, Ashley hangs out in Govan. So we use the elephant in the room as a, a signal, an indicator of something going on with mental health. So the idea is the elephant in the room is the thing that everybody knows there, but they don't want to talk about, they don't want to mention it. So I will be found wandering around with this elephant under my arm, and then people know that's a sign something's going on with mental health. Our 110 mental health first aiders are our herd of elephants, and they wear little elephant badges, and they've got elephant stickers on their hard hats. And the, the thing about elephants is that they're all there for each other. They, they form a very close society. They learn from each other. They look after the ill, the infirm, and the young um, equally. And I really see that as a great analogy yes, for how you want your community at work to be. Brilliant. Well, listen, good luck with that campaign. Um, but for now, Claire Walsh, thank you so much for joining thank the you. show. Thank you. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csweetpodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do.
Welcome back to the C-Suite podcast with me, Russell Goldsmith, here on the Circularis 8 stand at Madworld. And joining me now is Kai Haas, Head of Occupational Health at Airbus. Uh, Kai was part of a crystal ball panel session this morning looking at what workplace mental health and well-being will look like in the next three to five years. Uh, Kai, what were the main thoughts from the session? I think what we all agreed on is that we've achieved a lot in, in the last years. If I just look at Airbus uh, as an example, uh, we've done a thorough uh, psychosocial risk assessment for teams. Uh, we have clinical pathways like employee assistance program, psychological counseling, and, and we just uh, also introduced health-focused leadership, which basically means that we teach leaders about what is the impact that their leadership has on, on health topics. And I think in, in terms of, of the future, one motive was that we said this focus in terms of leadership is, is really important and, and has to be leveraged. So that really there's a focus on leaders as being a role model and, and leaders probably even being measured by the impact they have on people when they're assessed, etc. So really, that is one focus. And the second focus, which I think to some degree was a concern as well, is in the future, how do you get all these programs, systems that you have established in, in bigger companies, how do you get that to the vast majority of the working population that work in small to middle-sized uh, companies? so that we really ensure if we want to tackle the problem of mental health for a population, for example, in the UK, that they get the same kind of service, uh, support, etc. Out of interest, do you find any differences in attitudes towards mental health in Germany, which is obviously where you're based, compared to other parts of Europe? Uh, I would say the main difference is to some degree in the definition, for example, what is considered to be work-related or not. So there are differences, what is acknowledged by the authorities as being work-related, etc. But in terms of what we do, for example, in the health promotion space, I don't think that there's much of a difference because there it doesn't matter if something is work-related but basically just what do you offer in terms of programs, clinical pathways, because no matter if something is more in the private space or is probably more work-related, even if it's in a private space, the employee does not leave it you know, outside uh, the company premises if he enters uh, the company. So in terms of health promotion, there's not really a difference. It's more like what is formally acknowledged as being work-related or not. Right. But I think it's seen as a topic in, in basically every nation. Yeah. You touched on some of the things that you're doing at Airbus uh, just earlier. Can you go into a bit more detail about you know, how you're implementing some of the programs um, in, in this space? Yeah, sure. So um, one thing that I mentioned is the, the psychosocial risk assessment as, as a basis where we are not only assessing teams, but we've defined a set of actions that people are supposed to take. For example, if you identify there's a conflict within a team, you would have an externally moderated workshop to, to really go uh, deep on that. Uh, then in terms of leadership, there is a, a mandatory training uh, on health-focused leadership, which really explains to leaders what is the impact that a good or bad leadership might have on the health of people. So that's the second part uh, that we have. Then I, I mentioned the clinical pathways. 
uh, that we have. And, you know, in the past, I, I guess all companies, or a lot of companies had engagement surveys that you would do like on a annual or, or every second year basis. And now this tool has been enlarged so that basically a team can say, okay, I want to talk about a certain aspect of team dynamics, of engagement. So they just initiate a survey within their space very quickly with an IT tool, and then they can take this as a basis for, for discussion so that we get more into assessing engagement, assessing uh, the mood on a day-by-day -day basis. Uh, another thing is, which is very simple, but I, I found it very effective, is uh, just talking about um, this in, in senior management uh, meetings, for example. We have something called a well-being round. So at a site, if we have uh, senior management talking about topics on a weekly basis, at the end we would do something like a well-being round where everyone says, okay, this is how I feel, this is what's affecting me, probably in private life, doesn't have to be, this is probably an issue I have at work, which really, you know, uh, challenges me emotionally as well. And I think this is very powerful as well because it sort of allows people to, to talk about this. And obviously, if you have someone like a site head talking about this, it encourages the other team members to do so as well. And talk us through how that training actually works for those senior leaders. So currently, it's a training which actually, depending on the level of management you have, because it includes legal obligations, etc., uh, includes two days of training. Uh, we have a shorter version of, of three hours. And what currently we're developing is that we think we can rather develop that into small nudges because it, it's difficult for people sometimes to get these three hours probably out of their agenda. So we thought we basically take pieces out of that focus, for example, on the, uh, the context between uh, the level of stress and the level of performance, how does that relate, etc. So that we just have one slide, one message, have probably three to four minutes video, and so people can include that more uh, in their, their normal daily working life or probably in meetings so that over a period of four to eight weeks they get the same content but they can have it in a more convenient way. Right. Uh, now, the panel session you um, were on earlier also looked at how technology uh, could be used within the workplace around mental health and well-being. Uh, what came up in that discussion? Well, I think uh, digital is, is the word that, that I guess everyone uh, came to. And if you just walk around here at the Med World Forum, you can actually see examples of online-based platforms, apps, etc. And I think one big advantage is I talked about a survey that a team can uh, initiate, but you actually already have tools where you can use your smartphone. So you basically you know, can, can just in time, if you will, uh, define, okay, this is my mood at, at this moment. And then you can have a look at the aggregated anonymous data. So you basically get a real time picture of an organization. And I think that was one topic uh, we will see a lot more, I think, also in the field of occupational health because currently a lot of services like health surveillance, etc., is still site-based. And in some countries, uh, some companies, we already have a lot of people, like a sales force, for example, uh, worked in a pharmaceutical company where a third of people were sales force. 
who are not really linked to a certain site. So how do you bring services to these people? And the digital uh, means will, will uh, enable a lot more in that space. We will see a lot more of telemedicine, specifically in occupational health. And that also, I think, is an answer to, to one question that was raised during the panel dis, uh, discussion. How about, you know, like the, the gig workforce, if you will. So people who are not used to just work at one side, who probably have different contracts uh, than we're used to, and how you reach them. And I think digital, uh, going digital and having offers in that space is an answer to that as well. Fantastic. Well, it's uh, getting a little loud here as everyone uh, has broken for lunch. So um, I'll let you uh, disappear and get yours uh, as well. But for now, uh, Kai Haas of Airbus, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you very much for having me, Russell. Thank you. So our next guest uh, brings something very different to the discussion. I'm thrilled to welcome Julian Hitch, who is not only Director of Wellbeing at Leon Restaurants, but is also one of Europe's foremost masters in the ancient Chinese martial art of Wing Chun, which he has introduced into uh, the Leon organization as part of their mental health and wellness program. Now, I'd never heard of uh, Wing Chun before, but from what I've discovered online, it provides the student with the skills necessary to defend themselves against an all-out attack by a stronger, larger and more aggressive opponent. So three immediate questions for you, Julian. What's it about? How did you get involved? And how does that fit in with the mental health and well-being agenda? Uh, thanks, Russell. Thank you for having me here. Really interesting question. Um, the question of, the, of how you described Wing Chun is true, but it actually doesn't really go to what it's really about. What it's really about is about personal transformation. And it does that through understanding who you really are and how you get to that knowledge. Because quite often, our schooling is telling us who we should be, the skills we should have. But when are we asked, who are we? And unless we really understand who we are, we're going to fundamentally have a challenge. Now, what the martial arts does is it brings a framework, and Wing Chun brings a framework to how you integrate mind, body, spirit, and social into one. So it allows you a mechanism from the physical training to the concepts involved to be able to explore that. And because what we want at Leon is what we call a journey to wholeness, a way that we can empower you through things like that. Well, that's what I wanted to ask, actually, in terms of how you're bringing that into the Leon experience, because you're about to uh, be in a session around setting a new benchmark for company culture. So, yeah, how does that culture work within, within Leon? Well, we have two things. We use the framework, which we call winning, not fighting, was the idea of understanding fundamentally we want to create harmony and this is the idea which Wing Chun started with because it was the only martial art ever created by a female what it allowed you to do was see things differently and see interactions differently so we start from a different concept from day one secondly the physicality allows you to get out of your head and into your body so we give people the opportunity to learn the martial arts for free we built a studio in Oxford Street we're building another one in London Bridge and our new offices and it just allows that that way of becoming more connected with yourself so we do this on our onboarding process, which is called Eat Well, Live Well. We have like positive psychology, nutrition, and they do the martial arts. We do it at Hello Leon their very first day. And then we offer them as many free opportunities to train as they would like. And what's been the reaction when, like, so a new starter, you know, do, do they feel pressured to do it? Or, or has there been like real great uptake on it? Such a great question. For us, the key thing is we want you to feel involved, but not forced. So this is not something when we say we do it, there's an understanding of what we believe in and how we can help people, but absolutely should, someone should not feel forced. So that's why we present the opportunities. And what Wing Chun does is provide 
a vehicle for allowing it to happen, but the concepts allow you to use any modality you want. So we also have free Zumba classes, yoga, massages, all going on. And furthermore, we also try to find what people's passions are in the well-being. So if they're particularly passionate yeah, about Zumba, they can, we'll pay them to teach Zumba. How are you measuring the effectiveness of it? Um, data is a really key point because if you, we believe that if you just do it for the data, it will never work. You have to do it because you believe in it. It has to be fundamental to you. So when you do it that way, the data results happen, but the more you get fixated on it, the less it happens. So we actually, I'm aware of what's going on, but we don't really pay much attention to it because that's not the point. It's what we believe in as a company. So it's just, I say, it's intrinsic rather than, okay, we're going to do this because we want retention. If you do it for that way, it's going to be a short-term program. Do, do you know of any other businesses doing anything similar to, because this is obviously a very different approach. Um, I mean, look, there's lots of businesses doing great things, right? And there's an increasing trend, particularly in well-being sustainability. I think how we've done it here is really unusual because it incorporates basically 1,500 years of ancient knowledge from Zen and Taoism. So I think this is an unusual approach that we've taken that lately. Now, I can't let you go without giving you an opportunity to plug a new book I know you've written, which is actually with the founder, John Vinson of uh, Leon. Tell us about that. Well, thank you very much. Um, so it's called Winning Not Fighting, and it's out by Penguin Business on the 7th of November. It's intrinsically exactly this, explaining how we developed this culture through Leon and why we've looked at the world the wrong way, where we start thinking about someone as an enemy and beating the competition and using the analogy of war, which not only is ineffective, but creates a whole range of stress and mental health problems and is highly ineffective for business. So this is a, a way that we spray what we've done at Leon and a kind of guide to help others if they're interested in doing the same. Fantastic. Well, good luck with the book launch. Thank you and, very much. And uh, good session. luck with your session today and thanks for joining us. That's a real pleasure. And so we come to the final interview of the podcast here at Madworld, which is with Amanda Lambert, People Director at 3UK, who is taking part in a panel session shortly on the topic of harnessing the power of business, uh, which will be looking at why boardroom buy-in or senior level sponsorship for mental health and wellbeing strategies is key to making a real impact. Uh, within the session, the panelists will be sharing their insights into how to make a winning business case that will inform, persuade and embed support for mental health and wellbeing in the workplace. And so I'm delighted to be able to get a sneak preview of one of those case studies right now. So welcome to the podcast, Amanda. Uh, can you share how three are supporting mental health and well-being in your organisation? Uh, do you mind if I start maybe with why we started to focus on wellness? Yeah, please. Uh, a few years ago, we were going through an acquisition of one of our competitors, which ended up not happening. So we recognised that um, that put an enormous amount of pressure on people, the uncertainty of you know what it meant for their jobs in the future, and also a lot of extra work. Um, that alongside the fact that on a personal level I'd also had a mental health experience and come back to work from that, kind of just realised that we needed to look after our people and make sure they were okay. Um, so we looked at all the different aspects of well-being, physical, emotional and of course mental. Um, we started our programme then in terms of looking at all those different elements. Right. So what's actually been implemented then? I'll, I'll, I'll try to remember all of it because it's been over a few years and there's lots of different things. Uh, to begin with, we really started quite simple but with symbols. So the two biggest symbols we had was we've introduced Wellness Wednesdays, which we work in a really fast-paced industry. Lots of meetings. Our people told us there wasn't really much time for a break. So on a Wednesday, we have no meetings between 12 and 2, and we encourage our people to get out, uh, take care of themselves, do something that's exercise or just a break, go for lunch with their team. Uh, we have a, a rock band club, a film club, a creative drawing club, so lots of different activities. 
Uh, that's become a real ritual and a real symbol of wellness in our company. And then the second thing we did that was also no money investment at all, but started to share our own mental health stories. And we did that in the Mental Health Awareness Week a few years ago. Uh, on a Monday, I started with mine. We had someone in retail talk about her experience of anorexia uh, and different people across the business. And on the Friday, our CFO also told his story, which was a non-known story at the time. So it was a, a big thing. And he's a big character in the business that so made quite a big impact on people. And what's been the reaction of, off the back of that then? I, I think that really created a movement. So two simple, free of charge things. No investment required, no business case required. Um, but they made a big difference because people could see that we cared about them and also that we were making it okay to say you're not okay because we were, I suppose, making us all the same in that sense. Uh, from there, we've then added loads of things on. So we progressed to look at more preventative stuff, so more time off. We increased our annual leave policy. We introduced personal days for people to take for things that aren't holiday. So it might be something good like going to a school sports day. It might be taking a loved one to hospital, like all the things that go on in your life that you have to deal with. Yeah, and, and not have to feel guilty for taking Ex the time. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we introduced those. Um, we, we extended our compassionate leave to four weeks. We uh, also trained all our people on mindfulness, uh, cognitive behavioural therapy and anchoring. So we, we have introduced some language about am I feeling above the line or below the line today? And here's some techniques of how you could deal with it. And every employee's been through that including our line managers doing a two-day version. We have a wellness fund. Every year uh, we open a window and people get to apply for money for their wellness activities. Uh, that can vary from a team activity right through to paying for mindfulness sessions. Or um, in my case, we, we run a boot camp in the local parks. So we apply for gym equipment to do that. Uh, and that's really popular of our people. Amazing. So loads and loads going Lots on. Lots of stuff. How yeah. are you actually measuring the impact of it all, though? Well, from our perspective, the measurement is less about the financial payback and more about the engagement. So wellness is by far the biggest thing our people mention as a positive in our annual three times a year survey. We measure that through our employee net promoter score, which tells us how much our people love us. It's gone from plus 14 three years ago to plus 30 this year. And the number one thing that people tell us that they love about working for three is the focus on wellness. It's the most mentioned thing in the verbatim. And all of that's of a backdrop of still massive uncertainty as we've gone through a huge business transformation alongside it. Fantastic. Um, you're about to go into this session now. What's the key message you're hoping to share in that? Um, actually, I think there's probably two messages. One, you don't have to spend big bucks to make a difference. I would say still the thing that people relate to the most is the honest sharing of stories and those rituals like Wellness Wednesdays. Um, so you don't have to have this big justification of financial investment. But I think beyond that, this responsibility of corporates beyond making profit is a big thing to us that we believe that we need to invest in our people and therefore we always do the right thing. Good messages to end on. Um, Amanda, thank you so much for uh, joining the show. Thank you very much. Well, that, in fact, wraps up these two episodes that we've recorded at Madworld. So thank you to all my guests who took the time to chat to us today, uh, to the organising team at Madworld, and, of course, to Circularis 8 for making it all happen and allowing us to record the interviews on their exhibition stand here at the event. Don't forget, if you want to discuss your working environment with Circularis 8, you can get in touch with the team there via their website at circularis8.com. That's C-I-R-K-U-L-A-R-I-S, and then the number 8, circularis8.com.
We hope you've got a lot out of both of our Mad World episodes and we'd love to hear any comments you may have on the topic of mental health and well-being in the workplace. So if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do that on our Facebook page, Twitter feed or LinkedIn and Instagram pages, which are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the show, please do give us a positive rating and review. Finally, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that via the contact form on the website as well, or you can reach me via Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. Thank you.